It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. I am thrilled that you're tuning in because we're continuing our study of 1 Corinthians. We have made our way up to chapter 13, and I believe that this is a chapter that will truly resonate with your heart, literally. We're talking about real love defined. This is the love chapter, after all, and so we've got a number of weeks uh, coming up here where we're going to be diving into this chapter. We go through the Bible verse by verse, after all, uh, as an expository church at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley, as a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley. Uh, we try to spend the time to go through God's holy word and to equip you, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And so I'm thrilled that you're tuning in. We've got a lot to cover over these next few weeks. And as I've mentioned in prior broadcasts, we will be getting into the subject of tongues forthcoming in 1 Corinthians 14 as we have been diving into the subject of spiritual gifts. And I know that that is one that many people have been asking about. So we will give it the uh, a great deal of time in our study of that. But let me just uh, kick off our study here of real love defined with something you may uh, find a little humorous, because I think we can relate with this. Uh, there was a Peanuts cartoon showing Lucy standing with her arms folded in a stern expression on her face, and Charlie Brown is pleading, Lucy, you must be more loving. This world really needs love. You have to let yourself love to make this world a better place. Well, Lucy angrily, she whirls around and knocks Charlie Brown to the ground. And she screams at him, look, blockhead, the world I love. It's people I can't stand. Now, I'm sure some of you may feel that way from time to time. Maybe as you're driving and feeling that way about some of the people you're driving next to there in traffic. And some of us may feel that way most of the time. Maybe you feel that way in your relationships, even with those of your coworkers. I mean, loving the world in general isn't that difficult. But loving the people around us can be a major challenge if we're truly honest about it with ourselves. So in 1 Corinthians 13, we find one of the most beautiful and familiar chapters in the Bible. This chapter is typically read at weddings, anniversary celebrations. It's even set to music, yet this was most likely not the original intent. Indeed, in proper context here, Paul was writing a rebuke to a dysfunctional church for their abuse and misunderstandings of spiritual gifts. So typically, this understanding is often ignored. And so consequently, I wonder if most Christians have truly pondered the deeper meaning of this passage. You see, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul will argue that love is an action, not an emotion. Okay, now emotions certainly go hand in hand with this, but Paul really wants us to see here that the love that is being described, this agape kind of love, is a selfless service. It is action-oriented, and although emotions can be a factor, we will experience true joy when we're obedient. So the kind of love Paul will talk about is seen, experienced, and demonstrated, and this is contrary to to our culture that 
honors personal feelings above almost everything else. We do what we want when we want because we feel like it, okay? And if we don't feel like it, we don't do it. But as I study this passage, I'm struck by the complete absence of any stress on personal feelings. If love is an action, not just an emotion, we need to study what God has to say about love. And that really comes out here in this chapter. We need to know what love is and what it looks like when it's lived out in the church. So in these 13 verses, Paul provides three distinctions of love. Number one, love is greater than any other spiritual gift. In verses 1 to 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So in these verses, Paul mentions six spiritual gifts, tongues, prophecy, knowledge, faith, giving, and martyrdom. The first four gifts are listed in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10. The gift of giving is among those that's mentioned in Romans chapter 12, verse 8. Martyrdom does not occur anywhere else as a spiritual gift, but by its association with the other five gifts here, we can add it as a spiritual gift that God gives to the church. We might think not think of martyrdom as being one of those spiritual gifts, but I believe that it is. Here's why I say that. I believe the ability to go into the lion's den, as we see in Daniel chapter 6, or plunge into a fiery furnace of Daniel chapter 3, or even to face an angry mob in Acts chapter 7, is a strengthening of the Holy Spirit in us and not a work of the flesh, as we read in Psalm 34, 19. I mean, we look at Stephen in Acts chapter 7 for a moment as he's speaking boldly before an angry mob. Here's what we read, Acts 7, 54 to 56. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I mean, Stephen exhibited the supernatural boldness in the face of adversity, and that's why martyrdom is mentioned among the gifts. So Paul kicks off 13 verse 1 with the gift of tongues when he writes, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. A clanging cymbal. Now, as many of us can probably relate with a clanging cymbal a time or two. I've been in the basements with teenagers that were practicing some of their instruments for band practice, and that's the noise that tends to come to mind here when I think of that verse. So some Bible students seem to have missed Paul's point here, not speaking merely of eloquence in human speech, but clearly he's referring to the gift of tongues, okay? So we'll be tackling this subject a great deal in the coming weeks. But you can see that Paul puts the gift of tongues in proper perspective. He says you can speak in tongues all you want, but if you don't have love, you are merely making a lot of noise. In in verses 2 to 3 here of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul mentions five more spiritual gifts when he writes, and though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. A prophecy here, it refers to the ability to, to, to declare boldly, if you will, God's truth in a powerful 
and life-changing way. That's what he means by prophecy. It is forth-telling rather than foretelling. It often becomes what we think about when we think of prophecy. And you see, knowledge involves the deep understanding of the Word of God. And faith has the unique ability to trust God for great things. Some people just have this gift of great faith, even in the midst of adversity. And these three gifts are all from the Holy Spirit. And yet without the love of another who has these gifts, it amounts to nothing. The love is the key here. So verse 3 poses a problem because it asks us to ponder activities that we automatically consider to be noble. Giving to the poor is a good thing to do. And dying for your faith in Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. But as good as these things are, without love, they will do you no good. So Paul declares that the greatest expression of spirituality is love. We could summarize these three verses like this. Without love, I say nothing, I am nothing, and I gain nothing. Christ didn't go to the cross purely out of obligation to save. Rather, it was driven by a motivation of love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So clearly, we must have love when we are exercising our spiritual gifts. I mean, do you want to do anything without genuine love? I mean, truly, if we're trying to witness to others, if we're trying to do that out of obligation, we're going to fall short. We are going to lose our momentum. If we're doing things without love as the motive, without seeing people as Christ saw people, without the compassion that he had for people, then we will will fail every time. We are going to burn out if love is not at the core of why we do what we do. If we're just doing it out of a sense of obligation, we will fall short. So although no one has perfect is perfect in this, there, though there's individuals out there who try with earnest motives, if they're doing it out of the flesh, then they're not going to go the long haul. They're not going to make the distance. So we ought to be seeking to grow in this love quotient. I mean, we've got a lot of work to do to really put everything we do for the cause of Christ into proper perspective, bathing it with the same love that Jesus Christ had for us. That's not something that comes naturally. This is a supernatural kind of love, which is why it needs such attention here in 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, think about this. Someone is dying every 1.8 seconds, and most of them don't know Jesus Christ. In fact, if we really look at it and break this down, there are millions of people who are dying right now without Jesus Christ as their Savior. Are we okay with that? I mean, really, if we really assess where our heart is in that, we should be grieved by that. The Pharisees really didn't seem to care. They only cared about their own position. But we need to care about this. I mean, 65 million people die each year in the world. That's 178,000 people every day, 7,425 every hour, and 120 each minute. If we do the math based on the world population, less than 10% of these will come to know the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior. That means of the 120 people dying right now every minute, Only nine of them will know the Lord. That means 111 people 
just died without Jesus. By the time this broadcast is over, over 3,000 people will have died without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Hell is swelling with souls as we gripe over petty issues with one another. If that doesn't put the weight of grief on our heart, then we need to ask the Holy Spirit right now how to love people more with the love of Jesus Christ. 34.6% of the people in El Paso County are Christians. How many people live here? 720,403 people live in the county, give or take. So that means that 472,000, almost 473,000, that's how many people need Jesus. Because the exact number that I have here in front of me is 472,584. Now, give or take, that means 473,000 people in this county alone need Jesus Christ. That means if I tried to go out in my own strength, maybe this message resonates with you, it convicts you deeply in your heart, and you decide to go out there and in your own strength, you go out there and say, I'm going to tell five people every week about Jesus Christ. It would take you 1,872 years to tell everybody in El Paso County about Jesus Christ. But if we, the body of Jesus Christ, the church that he has appointed to be light into darkness, if we all got together with this mission before us through a mission of love, we're to go out and tell two people, every Christian in El Paso County, we're to go and tell two people right now, it would take us less than a week to reach every single person in El Paso County. So uh, Paul is really going to emphasize the fact that we have lost our first love We have forsaken our first love, therefore we do not have love for others. And love is expressed by supernatural responses. You see, love is a word that can only be properly defined in terms of action, attitude, and behavior. There's no room for abstract theoretical definitions here. Instead, he wants us to know what love looks like when we see it. So he paints 15 separate portraits of love. That's right. In the space of four short verses, Paul uses 15 verbs, all of which have love as their subject. Now, our contemporary definition of love is is that it's an emotion or a feeling. We love our jobs. We love football. We love pizza. (laughs) Well, in the biblical definition of agape, love acts, for love is an action, not an emotion. Okay, motion is a, an emotion is a byproduct, if you will. So certainly every expression in the Bible that refers to God's love shows God in action. In love, he sent his son to be our savior and our redeemer, according to Romans 5a. The world cannot understand true love apart from God, for real love is a work of the Holy Spirit. We know this to, to be true because Galatians 5.22 lists love as the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. So what you will realize as we explore this thing called love is that it is not possible to achieve nor fully able to be expressed in the flesh apart from the work of God in you by way of the Holy Spirit. That's why you will never know real love apart from God. God is love, according to 1 John 4, 7-11. to So there are four words to used to describe love in the Bible here. There are at least seven in the Greek. So we've got agape, phileo, eros, and storhe. Storhe, that's used here. Four words of the Bible. 
but there's seven, as I just mentioned, in the Greek, a number of expressions of love. I, we even have phileo, we've got eros, torhe, uh, ludus, pragma, philatia, um, amongst many others. The challenge we have here in the English is we try to take one English word to capture a, a depth, uh, uh, maybe the greatest valley, if you will, of expressions of love that even the Greek tries to capture in seven. I mean, clearly, I can't love pizza the same way I love my wife. So we almost need some help, some further adjectives in the English to help uh, give more detail to that. And the Greek certainly helps us with that. So the Greek word agape is the word that's used here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Agape is the purest root source of love. So the essence of agape is goodwill, benevolence, self-sacrificing, and willful delight in the object of love. You cannot have true eros love without agape love. You cannot have pragma love without agape love. So however the world tries and fails and leaves behind a wake of pain and suffering as they try to define love that is not a biblical source and guide for what is true love by way of the Holy Spirit. So Paul's going to help us examine then what this agape love is. So here we read in verses 4 to 7 of 1 Corinthians 13, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So what do we see here? That love suffers long and is kind. So this long suffering is a patience. Love is patient. The Greek language has several words for patience, and one signifies patience with circumstances, while another is used only in reference to patience with people. So they're used in, in different ways, in different types, but ultimately comes back to what we find that the Lord is able to provide. The Lord knows we need both kinds of patience, but it is the second word that's found here that we really want to put our attention to, that the King James will render the word long-suffering. I like this. Paul seems to be saying that love doesn't have a short fuse. It doesn't lose its temper easily. A person who exercises agape love does not lose patience with people. <laughs> You're thinking, oh great, I'm guilty already. Guilty is charged. Well, I understand. That's what we're reading this for, is to be convicted by God's holy word. Love never says, I will give you just one more chance. Okay, love is patient. Love is forgiving. The longer I'm in pastoral ministry, the easier it is for me to be patient with others when I evaluate each situation through a lens of gratitude and humility. You see, people are willing to tolerate the shortcomings of others because they know they have faults too when they're loving people. Okay, so loving people are willing to tolerate these shortcomings because they have self-examined before God. They have contrasted themselves with the majesty of God and realized how much love and grace and mercy they have received, and therefore they're able to exhibit the same and practice the same with others. So as you mature, you should often find yourself, and I hope this is the case, being more patient with others. If you're growing more crotchety, I would challenge you to get back to your posture of prayer 
get back into a posture of reading God's Word and self-reflecting, meditating with His Word as your roadmap. Okay, if you're spending too much time in the news, you're going to get a little soured. You're going to get a little calloused toward the needs of others. You need to get back into the source of, of where our joy is. Get back to the posture of being in love with our Messiah so that you can reflect that love to others who desperately need it. So God wants you and me to grow in patient love for those whom we minister to and with. So number two, love is kind. In Romans 2, 4, Paul said it was the kindness, goodness of God exercised towards us that led us to salvation. And, and our love toward people will act just as purposefully and consistently. So patient, any patience that's exhibited must be accompanied by a positive reaction of goodness toward the other person. Okay, so kindness is not to be equated with giving everyone what they want. Okay, that's not kindness. If our child wants everything under the sun, giving it to them is not an act of kindness. Sometimes love must be tough. So in the context of the church, kindness may mean forcing an addict to go through the struggle of withdrawal. Kindness may mean saying no to that spoiled child. Kindness may mean reporting a crime that's committed even by a friend. Uh, kindness means to withhold what harms as well as to give what heals. So love is kind, but often it has to be tough. So, so Paul followed the two positive expressions of love with eight verbs that indicate how it does not behave. The first of the five of these marked into this Corinthian church we've seen. The, the, Corinthian, the Corinthian church, as we went through our study so far, is that they've been envious, as we've seen in 1 Corinthians 3, 3 and 4, 18. They were boastful in verse 18 of chapter 3, chapter 8, and chapter 14. They were proud, chapter 4, 5, and 8. They were rude in chapter 7 and 11. And they were self-seeking in chapter 10. So there's a lot of these issues that Paul has to address here that love is absent when these behaviors are evident. So let's look at number three here before I run out of time. Love is not jealous. Okay, so jealousy implies being displeased with the success of others. Yet true love desires the success of others. Okay, that's really hard for us. If we really self-examine, we find that it is very difficult to cheer on other people to success because we want to share in their success. If it feels like we're going through a great deal of burdens, trial, adversities, persecutions, when our brother over here seems to be just, I don't know, wallowing in great victories where it seems like, hey, their house sold for more than they were asking, they just bought a new car and all these things that seem to be lavished upon them. And then we find ourselves in, in our heart maybe brewing up a little bit of jealousy to that. And that is not what we should find here as a true action of love. The jealousy of God is pure and undefiled because it desires the best interest of his people, according to 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and Exodus 20, verse 5. But the jealousy of man is self-serving, according to Galatians 5, 20. So the best way to cure envy is to pray sincerely for the one whom you are jealous of. So to pray for them is to demonstrate true love. And, and selfish jealousy, really, it cannot exist 
in the same heart that's filled with love since love is selfless. Okay, because jealousy is a selfish, it's a selfish action. It's a self-serving action. It, it's wanting only what's best for you. And maybe it's okay for others to have something good happening to them too, but you ultimately want it for yourself as well. When you are truly filled with sincere love, agape kind of love, all you desire is for those around you to succeed in truth and knowledge and understanding and to grow in their walk with the Lord, in their maturation with the Lord. And it, you will do that at all cost of yourself. You will give all for that mission. I mean, it is something that requires us to give everything to take up the cross to follow him that others might live, that others might grow, that others might have the fullness of the joy in their walk with the Lord. Again, this is not something we will produce in the flesh. It is something by way of the Holy Spirit. So we're just getting started. We still have to cover number four and move on through the list here. And I see how fast time goes. I mean, our 25 minutes together just goes by so quickly. So again, I want to thank you for tuning in to Engage in Truth. We'll get right back into our study of 1 Corinthians 13 next week. So stay tuned. But I want to encourage you to check us out at Calvary Fountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Services are at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays, and we would just love to see you there and worship with you. So again, if you're looking for a church in this area, give us a call, reach out to us. You can find out our information, our contact information there at calvaryfountain.com. God bless you, my friends. We'll see you soon.